Okay, everyone, today's episode was recorded at and brought to you by Raven Sound Studio in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Raven Sound Studio is a professionally equipped audio production facility offering recording, mixing, and mastering services throughout northern Arizona and surrounding areas. Whether you are looking to cut a demo, record your next single, or have a full album produced, Raven Sound Studio has the tools and skills you need to get the job done. For more information, head to www.ravensoundstudio.com to book a session or schedule a tour. Welcome to the Creative Convergence, an audible nexus of the creative arts. I'm your host, Candace Devine. Join me in conversation as we discuss the journey creatives take on their path to success. Hey everybody, today's guest is the incomparable Rick Schmidt. Rick Schmidt is a professional multi-instrumentalist who plays pedal and non-pedal steel guitar, acoustic and electric guitar, MIDI guitar, bass, keys, as well as vocals. Rick has performed all over the world, both on stage and in studio with artists such as Shania Twain, Junior Brown, Scott Weiland, Albert Lee, Big Mama Thornton, and Christopher Cross, just to name a few. He played in the house orchestra for the new Broadway musical Hands on a Hard Body with Trey Anastasio of Fish at the La Jolla Performing Arts Center. As a member of the L.A. Steel Choir, Rick worked under legendary composer Hans Zimmer on the soundtrack for the Superman movie Man of Steel. If you'd like to learn more about Rick Schmidt, please see our show notes where we will have links to his social media accounts. Hey, everybody. Today on the podcast, we have the most incredible, highly experienced multi-instrumentalist. Mr. Rick Schmidt is here today and also a part-time Prescott local. I I want to be a full-time, but we're we're working towards that. Okay, good. Right now, you're you're divided between us and the Valley, correct? Pretty much. Phoenix area. Yeah, we have a property down there, two properties, and uh, that's how I make my living these days. Yeah, that's all right. COVID. Yeah, it's, listen, (laughs) COVID has made everybody look to all the other options of how we all make incomes. Um, I want to start kind of at your beginnings. Where were you born? Tell me about your early family life. Okay, I I was born in Denver, Colorado, 1951. I'm 69 years old. Awesome. And uh, I come from a showbiz family. Yeah. Although my mom, her stage name was Livy Taylor. She was a uh, a child prodigy, classical player, and then she eventually switched over to jazz, hardcore jazz, and she was really in the uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Art Tatum, but Oscar Peterson school, that, you know, Errol Garner, she could read anything, but she did a lot of piano bar work. But when I was a little kid, yeah. I, my father, his stage name was Bob Damon. He was a magician. That's and, amazing. And and so they traveled all over the Midwest. The, the, the problem with my folks, even though my dad had some connections in California at that time, uh, he kind of... When they got married and had kids, they came back to ha- raise us in a nice atmosphere yeah. Yeah. versus whatever, you know. And, and uh, so that Denver at that time was definitely not a showbiz town. And Interesting, because I, th- I think of Denver as a really artist colony. Oh, it, it, it's, you know? it's incredible now. Yeah. 
It's incredible now. And, and, up, as, and I was growing up, it was, it was incredible. I got to see all the greats play. And eventually I ended up getting to play like opening act for people yeah. and doing session for some, some big name people. But um, we'll digress. Yeah, we'll get there. So, yeah. so, I, um, so I grew up with my, my mom was always playing. I was from the womb. Did you have any siblings? Yes, I I had a, a brother. He passed last year. I'm sorry. And uh, that's the way it goes. I'm, I'm and uh, yeah, it um, he never he was the smart one. He didn't really he follow wasn't in my parents into that into the art scene as much. No, music and my him. parents were scared scared to death that I yeah. was going <laughs> to do follow exactly in that. I know. It's so <laughs> my parents were like, "Please, God, no, do anything but the arts." Yeah. And then now I'm a parent. I'm like, oh, please, just go be something else. But, yeah. you know, that's well, what we do as parents. <laughs> you know, but, but my dad ac actually, you know, even though he was still a professional magician for all of my childhood, he eventually had to get a real job. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and then he was a weekend warrior doing shows. But he was a fearless, fearless magician. There was no, you know, he couldn't. Did he ever, I'm just curious because I'm fascinated by magicians. Yeah. Did he ever let you see behind the trick or were you also meant to be kept on the Well, no, the I mean, he gave me every opportunity to, to learn what he does, yeah. but I was scared to death because he would put himself into positions where the whole audience would think they had him on a trick and then he'd turn it around and misdirect him. Wow. But uh, without going too far into it, and, and I know the technology is different now, but when I was eight years old... I, the floating lady floated because I was behind the curtain <laughs> winding her up. <laughs> well, now we have at least one inside. You got one. We got but, one. We got but, one out of you. But there's, there's, there's a lot more versions of the floating lady. Totally. So, so no magicians are going to come shoot me. <laughs> but so were you as a child naturally drawn to the fact that your mother was musical and your father was, a, did you look at that and go like, oh, or was it kind of like, no, oh, it man. was, it was. I don't know, you know, for one thing, I'd watch TV and then you had good piano players. And I just thought everybody played like that. Wow. And, you know, and my mom was just, you know, she had a very deep bag, as they say in California. And uh, so she could play all styles in piano bars. She could re do any requests, that kind of stuff. Wow. And uh, never played the same thing twice. And uh, so I just thought everybody did that. You know, and then later on, I found out that they didn't. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, but I was always, you know, my mom was always playing and always listening to music. And, you know, so I had a really early, you know, indoctrination into jazz. Yeah. I was, you know, that's what I played. But then I actually looked it up before I came here. But then on uh, later on, when I went to got to junior high school on November 10th 1964 which was the day after the Ed Sullivan show oh and, and people, yeah and people my age know what that means yeah yeah and well, I, I, it's pretty darn legendary I think uh, yeah people my age and younger know what that means that's amazing but it's so like the next day on the playground at junior high you know you could just see the different bands starting to form you know? right Everybody's like, well, we're going to be the next Beatles. Yeah. That was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. See, I already played. I played, at that point, I played upright bass. Well, so let's, let's go back a little bit. When did you first pick up an instrument? Well, my mom, my mom gave me piano lessons early on and I was a terrible student, <laughs> you know, and even though I'm a, uh, I read notation, 
Yeah. I'm still not what's called a sight reader, but um, at any rate, so she she gave me every chance, but I would you know get on I the piano and just learn from I would mom. fool around, and we also had a Hammond organ, and and so I'd fool around with that, and I you know love awesome. that, and uh, but then I I I picked up because my mom wanted me to learn to play upright bass to play with her. Okay, so she was like, listen, I gave birth to these two little toddlers. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. take at least one of them, and someone's going to help me out here. Right, right. So I, 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 played, I played for a while, mostly in the school orchestra. We never owned one. I was I used the schools. And, uh, you know, it was all about, you know, doing simple yeah. junior high school band stuff. Yeah. And I wish I wish I would have kept up, and I wish I had one of those now. Although physically, they're right. they're demanding. <laughs> they're I mean, just such schlep, a pain to schlep around. Schlep around, yeah, <laughs> right. You know, I mean, yeah. and I've I've done that with other bass players. You know, to Europe with a bass. You know, it's like holy. You mother. always know when the upright bassist shows up because yeah. the car has every seat down flat, right, and the right, bass right. is barely making it to the back. You know, not hanging out a window, and then they come in with it on their back and all the door. I mean, it's a whole thing. But and it's still yeah. probably my one of my favorite instruments. So uh, cool. But because I played bass, um, I saw Paul McCartney, and I knew, didn't know what a bass guitar was. So that was really my beginning of really getting into it. Yeah. And uh, took me a while, begged my parents for a bass. Yeah. You know, they relented. They were very <laughs> good to me and bought me a bass, which I wish I still had. And uh so I was pretty much off to the races from that point on. I played with all the neighborhood bands and yeah. in Denver. And um, but then there's a, a place in Denver called the Folklore Center, and it was a is a famous place where a lot of like people coming into town like would congregate. And I got to hang out with a lot of famous yeah. people that would just come in. You know, I sat at. I don't know if anybody knows that around here, but Reverend Gary Davis, I got to see up close, got to see Larry Coriel up close. He's uh, great players and, and, you know, great, great folk players and blues players. Yeah. Um, but uh, so where was I? So, so started, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so you started on the base. I have a question for you though. Like at, at this general junior high going into high school time period of sorts, you're playing electric bass at this point, right? Right. Were you, because again, because of, and, and you, unlike so many people who do pursue the arts, it was in your home. You got to see it firsthand up front and close and personal. Did you at that point in your younger formative kind of teenage years, were you thinking I'm going to do this too? Or was this for you still just a hobby at this point? You liked being in bands or. No, of- I was, I was totally committed from the game. You, you know, and it was probably it was DNA. Yeah. You know, it was DNA. It was probably because girls like the Beatles and I like girls. <laughs> That's a pretty good detail. Yeah. You're like, wait a minute, let's look around here. There is not an accountant on this earth getting thousands of women to scream for him. <laughs> right. Right. So, you know, but yeah. eventually, of course, you know, it was the music. Right. And uh, what were your, when you talk about, you know, I started playing bands in Denver or I was playing with whomever, you know, I could sit in. Were you having, what were your influences besides, I mean, obviously the Beatles were everybody's like. Right. This is and and, and all, the, all the radio at that time. Yeah. Did and, you have a favorite like, oh, I want to be a Crosby, Stills, Nash or I want to be a Loggins and Missy or was there anything <laughs> filling your ears that you thought, this is pretty great? Well, I, I liked it all, but. You know, it was it was funny after, you know, of course, I got into Hendrix. Well, you know, I saw all the people coming into Denver 
uh, play. And when I saw James Brown, yeah, that changed my life. So R and B and soul were R and B and soul making an impact in your life. And the first, the first actual note for note transcription of anything I ever worked out was a Stevie Wonder song called "I Was Made to Love Her." Yeah, I was born a little. Yeah, and uh, the bass line was the guy fam- famous James Jamerson. Yeah, and it was a kind of a busy part, and it wasn't just boom boom. Right. Know? And uh, although Paul McCartney actually was a kind of a busy bass player, too. Totally. Yeah, he throws in some extra little flavor in there for sure. Yeah, I mean, he was one of the first guys that drew attention to the the electric bass. And so does James Jamerson, which was, he was the Motown sound. And uh, so that that was kind of where I was heading. And, and, uh, you know, then I got a call from somebody to play in a blues band. And even though I was aware of blues, more like... um, Mississippi Delta blues. Uh, so all of a sudden I was playing bass in it, like a Chicago blues type, right. type band. Right. And um, so we, you know, we, we practiced and played gigs and played in a couple of famous places. And then we broke up and as bands do, as bands do. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, uh, and I think it was, it got to be a problem because I was kind of falling in love with guitar at that point. I was just going to ask you that because there's more to you than just the bass. Right, right. right? Well, my mom, um, my mom being a great pianist, but she's a woman pianist, yeah. which in Denver at that time was not a thing. Well, it was not a thing. <laughs> it was not the circles, but there was, there's a famous jazz guitar player. Um, you know, he was a friend of Jack Peterson's. We'll talk about Jack later. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Johnny Smith. And um, he kind of gave up being like the top call guy in New York to move to Colorado Springs. And he had a gig every week. And and so for a few times, my mom subbed for his piano player. Oh, wow. And that was fairly progressive for that time, wasn't it not? I mean, for him to have a female come in and be his player? Yeah, well, she she could handle it. Yeah. and um, I like her. Oh, yeah. (laughs) She was, she was, you know, she was quite, quite. Of the real deal. Yeah. At any rate, because of that, you know, she mentioned that maybe I would like to take lessons from, from Johnny, you know, of course, once again, youthful folly, I think I thought I knew what I want, what I knew. Right. And, <laughs> we all fall know, into that. But I, 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 I wanted, but I did want to play like him because I heard him and it was like, okay, I want to learn that, you know? And uh, so I, I took a few lessons, but he was in Colorado Springs, which, for me, I don't even think I had a car. I remember taking the bus there a couple times. But, yeah. So eventually I changed to another teacher who was also a very well-known teacher who had lineage to famous people. And um, that's the thing. You'll you'll hear me talk about lineage because there's a lot. I love that. That's, well, but I think that's so true, you know, one, in inspiration, but two, when you are a musician coming up and educating yourself, we all want to practice with people that we look up to, that we feel their chops are what we want to gain. Right, right. And inevitably, if those people are good at actually teaching that, you, they are bound in some capacity to to draw the people who also go on to be legendary, you right. know, because that's the thing that drew you there in the first place. Right. You know, so I think that's a great word for it, this lineage of of passing these knowledge tokens down. And and it's it's true. It's just like, you know, spirituality. Yeah. You know, and um and it is spirituality. I, I on, couldn't honestly. agree more. <laughs> so so without proselytizing or anything. Yeah. But yeah, so it, it that's that's kind of how I started on guitar. So I was pretty serious about it from the beginning, serious about being more of a jazz player, classical player. Even though yeah. I played plenty of blues, yeah. I played, you know, I 
I played a lot of the pop music of the day, mostly on bass. Yeah. And because I was a pretty quick study on bass, as I like to pride myself on everything now, yeah. but on bass, they hated it when I went to guitar. <laughs> they were like, but we need you on we bass. We need bass, yeah. as, as you know. I do understand that. <laughs> I do understand that play, especially if as a, as a singing person, when you finally get a great band together that you're like, every person up here is killing it. Yeah. And then one of your players goes, well, I'm going to do guitar now. And you're like, but, yeah, yeah. but mm-hmm. I just got you in this band and you're a bass player. No. Yeah. <laughs> so at any rate, so I, I, I kind of jumped ship for a while and, and really dug into guitar, jazz guitar. And, and right about the time Jimi Hendrix died was about the time I took a hard left into jazz pretty much exclusively. Wow. And uh, prior to I that, were you Hendrix. enjoying flirting with all, like, oh, I, I, I loved all that stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I loved, you know, the Roy the Rock bands back in my, you know, the hippie tie dye days, you know, it was. People would jam forever, you yeah. know. I mean, that was in the dead, you know. All these people, they were just jamming. And that's what I really, really love to do, improvise. Yeah. That's kind of where my strength was. Yeah. You know, I was never, even though I'm a singer and have been because I'm a singing bass player also. Right. You know, Very valuable. You know, yeah. <laughs> so it, it, I was, I am a singer. Yeah. But um, not as much anymore, but so I could do those kind of gigs and I loved them. But then I just realized that I just, I was just really drawn and mystified by the process of improvising and, uh, and not just improvising, but being able to be a mind reader, you know, see where the rest of the band's going. You know, yeah. You know, you develop your ears to a point where you can follow, you know, hopefully to a high percentage, what everybody's trying to do. Yeah. You know, and uh, so, which is an art form in and of itself. It is, it like is. you said, it's equally practiced. It's lots of time on that stage or with lots of players to learn how to get yourself to a place that go. I can sit in with anybody and jam as long as we need to, like, or we want to. That's right, pretty. Right. That's a skill. And back in those days, yeah. that was acceptable. Totally. Not now. Kind of now it's that. kind of you know yeah. you got to want to do the ver- the record al- album cut version of songs. Right. A lot of times, which I've always kind of skirted a little bit around there yeah. and made things my own. <laughs> and so, you know, I don't think anybody's hated me, but, but somebody might have called somebody <laughs> else first. just fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that's, that, that was where I was coming from. So you dug into jazz guitar then and you took this left turn. I did. I jumped into jazz guitar. And of course, one of the reasons I did besides Johnny was because I was in the blues and then I discovered like jazz blues. Right. You know, which is yeah. like, for instance, organ trios like Jimmy Smith with Kenny Burrell or Wes Montgomery, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it was like, oh yeah, that's that's fun. That's hip. People can groove with this. Yeah. You know, so I was I was getting into that pretty heavily. And then I then I discovered like Miles Davis and 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 I kind of you know, all of that kind of world. And then I discovered Joni Mitchell. Okay, so pause right there because okay. right now you're on this amazing left turn journey into jazz guitar and then okay. fusion blues jazz. Yes. And then you just threw in a nice, although Joni Mitchell is incredible and has these influences as well, but you threw in this singer songwriter folk. Right. So, but she wasn't folk. When I first, yeah. when I, I, I didn't really, because I was young and arrogant, I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really get the, uh, the blue period, 
right. ladies of the canyon period right. which now it turns out they were brilliant yeah and those are very legendary for legendary her. right yeah. but it was court and spark interesting okay and and then the following ones um hajira yeah and and just how they were put together and how the songs were put together and they were very jazz influenced totally. and all their bands a, were jazz bands. Absolutely. So that makes sense to me. That's what I was getting at is that I was intrigued on how you kind of made this left turn toward this intense jazz world. But then all of a sudden you're like, eh, Joni Mitchell, but that well, makes there, sense. It was undeniable. Yeah. yeah. She, she's just she's like incredible. so brilliant <laughs> yeah. and a real, a, a real important force in music. I agree. And uh, so I, it was a blessing to be able to, to, to shut off my ego for a minute and just go, oh yeah, that's that's, that's really that's good the stuff. You know, that's really good. And uh, and and her lyrics. Well, you know? I mean, she's second to very few, if any, second to none on that end of her. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, she's I mean, brilliant. You know, I mean, I tried as a songwriter. We'll talk about songwriting later. But I tried as a songwriter when I moved to California. To, you know, kind of, and a lot of times I would, because I would kind of fashion my lyrics somewhat out of Joni Mitchell personal, you know, a little maybe overly poetic, you know, looking, <laughs> ba looking back on it. And, uh, but I, I, um, so I was a little, some people called me indulgent. I remember I, I had a, I had a uh, meeting with this guy, Kim Fowley, who was a famous, he was the guy that, that, uh, he was the Bengali for the Runaways and bands oh, yeah. like that. He was the notorious Hollywood kind of a, a vampire. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah. but he was, you know, he, he just called me self-indulgent. And, and, and I was mad. But then looking back at it, you know, yeah, he was right. Well, to some degree. Just, yeah, I mean, you know, based on whomever's opinion at whatever time, for whatever reason, he was right. the guy in the chair that could say that. Yeah. And, you know, you know we I would. At that time, I was in a band, and we were being courted by some people. Yeah. And uh, he was one. And, uh, so let's go back to where I was. So I turned left into jazz, Joni Mitchell. Um, and, of course, I was into, like, Weather Report. And then I discovered, you know, Keith Jarrett, who I saw a lot, who, yeah. um, who was kind of close to classical. But he was improvising, you know, these amazing improvisations that just went and went and went. And every idea was... You know, I mean, if I got into all my influence, it would go no, totally. all day. All <laughs> totally. Day. But I, I think it's it's poignant and worth noting because it sums up. It's a sum of all parts. You know what I mean? Like, right. It's these moments that you start to have your brain shift right. that then inspire you to go push yourself to learn another direction or right. more of what you didn't do before. Right. And then suddenly you're shaping yourself in a way you didn't even realize you were doing intentionally but right. you are doing you know so it's i like hearing that well as you know a, a little bit before that because i'm i'm soon going to talk about my pedal steel <laughs> yeah we're gonna get there for sure okay well when i was before i was into the jazz guitar and i was playing bass around denver teen clubs and stuff there was a band in denver uh their name was the boenzi crick strange name i know but at any rate their guitar player was not a guitar player. He was a steel player. So he learned, he played all of the, all of the um, guitar parts of the day on steel. steel. And I didn't even think about it. I was thinking about me and the guitar bass and Beatles. Yeah. And it didn't even, didn't even register to me. But at any rate, so I saw pedal steel being played in a totally different non-country way. 
Yeah. In the late in the middle sixties. And it turns out this guy's name was Rusty Young, who eventually was in the band, is in the band Poco. Oh yeah. <laughs> that and, little band. Yes. And, and uh <laughs> And I, I was actually at a, at a concert where his band, the Benzy Crick, opened up for Buffalo Springfield and then the Birds. Oh, my gosh. And I still ha don't know because I don't know how to reach Rusty, but I, I still don't know if that was the night he was discovered. Because it was the Buffalo Springfield and the Birds that kind of came up with Poco. That's right, kind of where it right. evolved from. Absolutely. And... Uh, so, but he was playing, you know, and he was really rocking out. He played distortion. He played Leslie. He was tilted up on the legs. And 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 I liked it, but I was still more into what I was into. But at any rate, so after playing jazz, and, and I moved to Boulder, Colorado, because okay. it was a real hip, it was very hip in the day. And it was kind of like Paris in the 20s, as yeah. I would imagine it. You know, the, the music scene was just vibrant. Kind of reminds me of Prescott. That's what we're working on here. Yeah, and sure. <laughs> uh, and yeah. So at any rate, so I moved up to Boulder, and I uh, lived up. At in, this point, was was it a natural time for you to be off on your own and and move, or was your mom like, no, don't go? Oh or? no, I I was grown up. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know that I, I at that point I was in my twenties. Yeah. So it you was know, time. Twenty one, like, maybe twenty twenty one. You know, I yeah. had a girlfriend. We lived together. And yeah. <laughs> All that stuff. And then I think after we broke up, I moved up to the, the, the mountains outside of Boulder, uh, which was kind of near Caribou Ranch, if you've ever heard of that. Famous. I have, yeah. And uh, so there were little mountain bars where all the, you know, Stephen Stills was up there drinking and carrying on and right. things like that. But anyway, this band I was in, or no, let's go back. So I was living on this property. I, I thought, okay, I'm going to live in this little shack up here. And live through the winter and and become enlightened, and uh, you know. I mean, why not? It's I'm like, going <laughs> to become enlightened. I'm going to chop wood. I'm going to cook my food, my 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 brown rice, and <laughs> you know, I was a hippie. What can I say? I and, love it. I think that's amazing. So the the guys, the guy the guy in that owned the property where I was at, he was starting a band with some friends, and he was a very very hip blues delta blues player world class and i played in a blues band with him earlier that chicago band i was talking about and uh so at any rate we they go oh well we're gonna cut our hair and put on cowboy hats and play cow country music and now, we want and we like want you to play pedal steel with us <laughs> if we all if we buy you one will you will you learn because i was I was pretty, I was, didn't have much. I wasn't yeah. a worldly guy. Yeah. And uh, so they bought me one and I was gigging in a week. And no uh, and I'm sure I was terrible. Oh, actually, I, I heard a tape of the first recording, the first night I played and it, it did totally suck, but it was, it was not. not well, you were new. <laughs> I was new. And, and the new. steel is, a, is, you know, to learn about How the steel. How did you it, react being in the mountains, making rice, like chopping wood, and they say we're going to cut our hair and do this cowboy. Well, uh, you know, of course, I I go, oh, really? I got to do that, you know. And, <laughs> and so all of a sudden, instead of like sitting around meditating, right, <laughs> I was planning honky tonks. Wow. Down into town, coming home at this two. This is another left turn. Two or for three you. in the morning, you know, coming to my cabin, and there'd be bear tracks around it, and uh, and. Uh, you know? You're like, oh, don't mind me yeah, for, don't, for don't, a late night snack, please. Don't please mind don't me. Mind and, me. <laughs> and then, you know, all the wood that I chopped, uh, 
all summer long was was gone by February and there was still the rest of the winter. And so I ended up going to the guy's house and living in there. And uh, but so we had this country band and it became a really very popular band in, in Colorado because we were kind of a camp. We weren't really country. Right. We had some it was funny we were yeah. young entertaining and, and, and humorous as yeah, well as and, being and it was called dusty drapes and the dusters and dusty is still a good friend of mine and uh but he was a, quite a personality and there were other really talented musicians in that band right so that's where you cut your teeth on the pedal steel that's where i started and I, so immediately i was gigging and faking my way through it yeah fake but it I, till you make it baby that's right that's right you know but i knew music right and i had a pretty good grounding and theory at that point uh so i could sort of start figuring it out a little bit but it it took me a long time if i was starting now with youtube it would be amazing you know that's a really interesting point yeah so youtube all those youtube for everybody yeah you know that's it's been such a blessing you know yeah you can learn just about whatever you want to look up i know that's incredible were you drawn to the pedal steel the way you were drawn to a guitar or a bass guitar well <laughs> I mean, other than it was bought for you and you knew you had to do it. But as you got into there. Well, yeah, because one of the jazz bands that I was in, I, I played with a vibraphone player. And uh, actually, I was playing in Steve Getz Quintet, who was Stan Getz's son. Mm-hmm. And uh, but this vibraphone player, he was really into very, very modern harmonies and very kind of he really had this thing about nature and how harmony works yeah. With nature it's you know and and uh and he goes you know i don't really like country music but i really like that instrument so i started paying attention i go oh yeah i saw this guy rusty play that when i was in kid a little kid and and uh so so they got me one in the very first day we had a friend tommy bowling who's a famous he was a famous he's gone now uh almost He's legendary. Look him up. Okay. He's, he's a uh, he played in the James Gang and and uh, Deep Purple. Oh yeah, and, you know, right. and, and then he had his own career yeah. and he and he OD'd and but he he loaned me an Echoplex, <laughs> which is you know it, it used to be not digital. It was like a tape thing that. So my very first day on the steel, I plugged into an Echoplex. And I had, right before I did that, I was listening to this like string quartet, kind of modern outside string quartet thing. And so I played steel and I could, I made it sound like that to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and at the moment. At the, at the moment. Yeah. And, and, and I thought, oh, that's okay. Now I see that this has potential other, other, other than country, even though I saw Rusty right. do it. But you put your own fingers on getting I put a my own sound thing. Okay, going, ah. I want I, I the kind of harmony I'm hearing in my head that I'm still trying to trying to figure out how to do, and now I've got another instrument that's harder to do it because that's like three dimensional chess, right? And um, no, I'm always fascinated by pedal steel players because I I just think the intuitiveness is different, you know, like the the way. I, I, maybe it's just because of the way we are brought up and what we see with a traditional guitar or this or that. But right, right. But to me, it's almost like this mystic experience. Well, and, and some sometimes that turns people off, and sometimes the the you know the classic approach of country or Hawaiian-y warbly right. sound turns some people off, yeah. and so they'll cop an attitude about 
steal. You know? Right. <laughs> so I, I took that and worked that towards my favor later on. You know, I'll be the guy that doesn't do that. Yeah. And Let me show you all the other beautiful sounds. Even though, made. believe yeah. me, I played plenty, plenty of country. Right. You know? <laughs> Did you grow through some of these? And I'm, I'm jumping ahead now, but like, have you grown in appreciation musically for country that maybe you weren't initially? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and, uh, and I played with so many great country musicians. Yeah. Which, which, by the way, you know, country musicians, I know a lot of them that can play great jazz or rock or blues, but that's not always the other way around. That's so true. You know, I know some great jazz players that couldn't play like a country, good country. Like country for their life. Yeah. yeah. That's so true. I, why do you think that is? Just curious. I, just because they think they know what it's doing and yeah. they don't. It's deeper. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's a, there's a certain thing. It's got a soul to it too. Totally. You know? Well, and I often think of like a Ray Charles about that. Uh, well, that's he. He's he's my favorite country singer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But if you you know anybody who has studied up on him at all, I obviously never had the privilege to meet or be around that man. But no, me neither. But if you study up on him at all, you know he was very famous of saying, "I do country records," right? Even though the world was calling him soul records, you right, know, right? But he, in his mind, he's like, I sing country music because there's a heart to it, yeah, which I think is and, pretty and, fascinating. And it's a lot of a lot of those songs that he would do, you know, "Born to Lose" and all of that stuff, he would do them better than the originals, in totally. my opinion, because it, you know, that's really where my heart was at. That Ray, yeah, that Ray kind of, is like in the top two. Well, it kind of epitomizes all of these flavors that you love in in one right. entity, you right. know, kind of doing both things at once. I know. I, I would have loved to have seen that guy. I've never even seen him play yeah. live. But, uh, you know, so many of his things. And, and so many of it, so much of Ray influenced people that I was influenced by. Right. Right. And so lineage once again. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And, um so you're playing this pedal steel in this band, and you put it on an Echoplex, and you kind of hear it back. Well, and, yeah, that's yeah. the first day. Yeah. I, I, I didn't, I didn't do that when I was playing country. Right. But yeah, an Echoplex, it's just like kind of big echo, you know. Yeah, and yeah. Swirly and then you're like, sound. oh, this is exciting. This is trippy, and uh, <laughs> and and but it really was beautiful. And so, like the first time I sat down at one, it was like beautiful. Yeah. But then later on, I I learned. As so many of my lessons, I learned the hard way. And uh, what, do you th- what do you mean by so many of your lessons? Are you naturally stubborn? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, yeah. Well, in, then, in those days. Yeah. I, I think I'm alive. <laughs> I've been beat down enough that, you know, but it's it's just the way I, I seem to have done my my work. Of course, that's why I'm 69 now. And, but it, it's, uh, but, and that, that goes for, for music itself you know learning learning harmony learning the craft doing the work yeah you know you have to really do the work i appreciate you saying that because i think oftentimes people view musicians as not that i think they it's easy to view musicians as because we're creative and maybe eccentric or maybe because we experiment in different directions with ideas that other people don't take the time to experiment with right i think we can often be conceived as either lazy or kind of out there or not diligent or not, you know, committed. And I think you're a hundred percent right. There's a lot of work, but I, but, but it took me a long time to, cause I right. was lazy. I wasn't diligent, but I, I also, you know, I had, I had really, I was blessed with pretty good ears from yeah. my mother. And, uh, and so I, I, you know, I could fake my way through and work, work on gigs and and then from my father i learned the the thing that 
if you act like you know what you're doing, then there you know what you're doing. You yeah. Know, smile at the audience and just yeah, you know, it'll work. And it yeah. works. You know, don't be nervous or spooked or right. You know, get up there and take command. Yeah. And that's what I learned to do. And uh, and that you know, and that amount of BSing, I yeah. can say that, <laughs> uh, kind of uh, served me well. Yeah, well, you've had quite the career, which but, we will continue to get into. But I mean, it, it obviously has been something that is, if not, you know, maybe behind the scenes, there was a lot more work that went into it, as I would imagine there was. Yeah. But there's a showmanship to the confidence of showing up going, I got you. I got this gig, right, you know, right, right. and and allowing people to see that you have the chops to back it, the confidence. And, right. And gigs keep coming, you know. Yeah, they they do. They did. Yeah. Um, so how did that band do as you started to evolve? Um, well, we got very popular in Colorado and actually I did leave the band, uh, right before they got their, 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 um, Columbia deal. They weren't, they had a Columbia wow. record, you know, we yeah. were kind of running simultaneously to sleep at the wheel Oh, okay. and sleep at the wheel honestly was a better band, uh, or at least a better steel player. Yeah. And, <laughs> but you know, we, we, uh, we came to California. You know, my first gig in California was playing for Mini Pearl. So was it that band that brought you to California then? Yeah. Okay. And then so I went back you... to Colorado, but then oh, I eventually okay. moved moved to California. But yeah, we first gig was a Knott's Berry Farm opening with Mini Pearl, yeah. and, you know, playing the Troubadour and with this band. And everybody, you know, played the Whiskey A Go-Go. Yep. And everybody looked in the audience looked like David Bowie. And we had hats and <laughs> scars. And, and Sorry, that's just a funny people visual. Didn't know, the people didn't know what they were seeing. Everybody's coming to the whiskey. They're ready to rage. And you guys yeah, walk yeah. out, you're all hatty, y'all. Yeah, but we, we had an, uh, a manager who was yeah. kind of connected. And uh, so, yeah. How was California to you at that time? Were you in awe of the music scene that was happening there? Was I, it not a thing I for frankly you? still still was a hippie at heart. And I just, I back in those days, when we first drove into LA, it was green. That was yeah. before... That was before they had uh, emissions standards, you know, yeah. and it, it was it was like I don't think I like it here, you know. Of course, we we stayed right down in deepest darkest Hollywood. Right, you know? <laughs> Hollywood was not always glamorous. I remember when we, we drove through Vegas, like, wow, if this is Vegas, I got to see Hollywood, you know. Right, and it wasn't that way. <laughs> I know. I always laugh when people. I mean, being from there, and I it sounds like I'm bagging on my hometown, but I'm not. But I used to laugh when people would come in and they're like, "We can't." First of all, they thought everything was close together. Like Disneyland was next to right, right, right. the Grommans next to no, you know no, whatever, no. and we're like, "No, everything's bajillions of miles apart." But also, and the ocean is not just right there. You actually have to go through lots of traffic to get to it. <laughs> yeah. But I'm always, I always laugh when people get to the heart of Hollywood, and I'm like, "It's an armpit, isn't it?" Yeah. <laughs> It's not what you thought it was going to be. It's not shiny and, you know. I, I guess they're trying to, to clean it up a little bit. But, uh, yeah, they are. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I haven't been there in a while, but I'd like to go again. We might go in May. Well, you'll so, have to let me know what you think when you get when well, you Yeah, go. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, we usually hang out by the beach when we go. But to go back where I, where I was. Uh, so, yeah, we play. We had, they got a deal eventually, but... Uh, and I guess he wasn't my first replacement, but my second replacement was Junior Brown. Oh. And uh, so, and then I eventually ended up playing with him in Hawaii. Oh, wow. And um, that was a story, but that's too much to tell. Oh. <laughs> and, Fair uh, and, we'll, leave, uh, we'll leave that story in Hawaii yeah, where yeah, it belongs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, at any rate, 
it uh, they're still friends of mine, dear, dear friends of mine. All right, y'all. Today's episode is brought to you by Gray Dog Guitars, located at 141 North Cortez Street in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Gray Dog Guitars is an authorized tailor, Gretsch, Guild, and Reverend dealer with a friendly, knowledgeable staff and a welcoming environment. Whatever you are looking for, whether to buy, sell, or trade, Gray Dog Guitars has you covered. So stop by today and check out their great selection of new, used, and vintage gear and check them out at www.graydogguitars.com. But I came back. I came back uh, to Boulder for a while, and I have a lot of Boulder stories. But we'll talk about music. Uh, so eventually, I decided. Okay, after a gig, a late night gig, I was putting chains on my tire, tires on a mountain pass at three in the morning. I said, "No, I got to get out of here." Yeah. <laughs> And so it's I funny mo- what the winter will do to a yeah. mindset. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what heavy winter will like do. Winter, yeah. And then when you think, what place doesn't have this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's what happened. Yeah. So I, I ended up moving to California, Santa Barbara first. Oh, nice place to land. And, and I think that's one of the reasons that I stayed in California so long. I probably would have turned tail and ran if I would have moved to Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, but Santa Barbara's a But Santa Barbara beautiful is beautiful, and I, and I got my second big passion was surfing. I became a surfer. Oh, you're a surfer. I became surfer. a serious surfer, lifestyle Wow. Surfer. The things you learn on this podcast. Yeah, I love yeah, it. yeah. So I said, surf here isn't so great. <laughs> but, yeah, Arizona doesn't <laughs> seem to provide the, the no, waves quite but, as well. you know, the very first surf I ever saw was in Tempe, Arizona. There's a, a wave pool there. <laughs> called Big Surf. And I guess it's kind of like a big toilet that flushes. And oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. And uh, so and when I came to, we did a thing at uh, Grady Gamage Auditorium with that country band in, yeah. in Tempe. And, or Tempe, however you pronounce it. And uh, and it was in the winter. <laughs> so I go, oh, I like this palm trees. This is great. I could live here. Yep. I didn't know about the summer. Yeah. Yeah. You had not yet seen the the flip side. So, um, so then we, so then we came to California and then I came back and then I, then I moved to Santa Barbara and I met these guys who were going to school uh, in Isla Vista. And I was just the guy that hung out in this college town. I I wasn't going to school. I surfed, grew my hair long (laughs) and blonde. And uh, it, and we, I met these guys and they were from the Valley they lived in Tarzana, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the guys, his, his, he lived with his parents, and they lived in a cul-de-sac right next to Rob Reiner and Penny Marshall. And like you do, when yeah. You know. And and <laughs> the drummer, who is now a famous producer, smooth jazz producer and guitar player, uh, Paul Brown, his parents were very successful very successful studio singers in hollywood and sue brown right she she's like saying batman and rice aroni and yeah all these great session well sessions I, this general time period i feel like session players had a really cultivated career path no they did which especially was, in that prior to me in a way although you right. know the the actually my generation had i gotten in there a little thicker you know yeah. uh did really great i have 
a few good friends who are, are very successful. Yeah, and have played on a lot of like big records and things because at that exact kind of crossroad of time, it was like, oh, hey, we do need this player on this. Or, hey, you're a great singer. We could use you on this. And right. it wasn't quite as dialed into where it's like either you're an artist or you're not. There right. was this other like right. platform to be a musician and work. Right. Which and I wish we had more of, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's getting harder for everybody there yeah. in that regard, which is, you know, it's it's unfortunate. Maybe things will bounce back a little bit. But, uh, and of course, music changes too, you know, yeah. the styles of music and so yeah. on. But, uh, so you're know, floating in Santa Barbara with your long locks being Yeah, a beach yeah. Bum. And so I meet these guys <laughs> and they go, okay, well, you know, we're come down and stay with us in Tarzana. Which is the valley. I know, know which, the by the way, you're like, why should I leave Santa Barbara for Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, once again, so like from Boulder to California, I was dragging my, you know, fingernails yeah. and uh, same thing there. I came, oh, man, what am I doing in the San Fernando Valley when I was, you know, two blocks from the beach in Santa Barbara? It's but, way sexier. Uh, <laughs> but so at any rate, we, we, we had a band and we were shopping a deal and the great writing, great players. And... Uh, you know, we had we had a uh, a manager, an agent. I mean, and uh, he was an agent for what was his big band, uh, Quiet Riot. Oh yeah. And so we start. We had a band. We were kind of more, a little more poppy, but a little more. But then I always threw my jazzy stuff in there. Yeah. You know? And um, so that didn't pay off. But because of that band, I got to play at the Troubadour many times. Okay. And, uh, and back in those days, really great venue then. And, yeah. and, uh, and so I, I got to meet a lot of people. So it, yeah. it, it, you know, to see how the whole Hollywood scene works. And I was very lucky cause I didn't go there and, you know, gee, well, gee, yeah. just like I pictured it, you know, right. it, it, it's, uh, I was, I was just kind of always kind of thrown into the situation. So I was been very lucky. In my yeah. Field. And, uh, incredible. When you were there in that general time period, you are in the Valley, but you're at the Troubadour, you're at the Whiskey A Go-Go, probably, I, was the Roxy there at that time? Yeah. I don't know if it I was or... play the Roxy? I didn't play the Roxy. No. Yeah. The Whiskey it, A Go-Go was with the country band prior to my moving there. Right. Yeah. But just being there in that general time frame, was it, an ex was it exciting to see music all over? I mean, I, in my mind, I picture that general era of California as being musically like Oh, yeah. High. oh yeah. You know what I mean? Where where people actually paid attention to whose bands were doing things and who was playing places and people went to see other acts play. Right, and right. Because as somebody who grew up there, I can tell you a lot of that in general is gone. I mean, there's not nearly kind of the cross collaboration or the interest of, or the time somehow. Everybody's trying to pay their rent. Right. You know what I mean? Right, where right. you can't be like, hey, so-and-so is playing the Troubadour all the time. Right, um, right. Were you excited to be in it yeah i was i mean i was just kind of overwhelmed going for the ride you yeah. know and um and i was excited i was definitely excited i i, I loved that band actually and uh but then it kind of was a time i i got married and yeah we kind of split from yeah. from la for a while i moved to hawaii for a while and and uh well that's but, also pretty darn cool so far rick i am totally into this life you've been having <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny. If I I I, I was going to write a book, or if I did write a book, I'd probably call it Name Dropper. But nobody likes Name Dropper. <laughs> I think you should write a book, and I'd be happy to read that book and all your name dropping. You know, because nobody knows me, so why would they even care? But it, it, it's uh, 
but I've I've been very blessed. I've gotten to um, You've hang, had incredible hang and meet experiences. and play yeah. with some pretty amazing people. I won't go into all of them. But well, and some it's okay because we're going to read your whole bio and all the stuff at the okay. front. So by okay. the time people are hearing you talk, they've already heard what a badass you are. <laughs> um, but I, and that's why we do get to focus so much on the journey part of it because I get to put out all the accolades ahead of time so that okay. you and I oh, can okay. just right. strip it down to the good stuff. You moved to Hawaii now. Did yeah, you? Yeah, and that was find- just briefly. That's why I played with Junior Brown. Yeah. And uh, it, it was only for a couple of years. Yeah. And uh, but I got I got to experience the surf there. Yeah. And uh, and and uh, and play around town. I actually auditioned for Don Ho, and, <laughs> and, and I thought I got Tiny I thought I got the gig, but then right at the last minute, uh, he decided to hire a, a full fledged local Hawaiian Hawaiian band, yeah. and I was just a howly kid playing right. the steel guitar. <laughs> And, uh, Did you like Island Life? I loved it. Yeah, but my you wife, right my in. wife at that time, not so much. <laughs> yeah. You know, but uh, so I, I got my my fingernails were dragging on the runway. Yeah, when when I had to come back to California. Yeah, but uh, it was nice. I played all the time, but I. I I, I got stung by a Portuguese man of war, and that the doctor said, if you ever get stung again, you'll probably die. So that was the end of my surfing career in Hawaii. It. So it was time to go. Yeah. And, I can uh, see how that might be a catalyst yeah, for that yeah, change. Yeah, it was, it was bad. <laughs> and so I came back to, uh, to California and uh, stayed with a good friend of mine, Dan McCorson, and my wife, too, who we totally imposed on them. But he was one of the dusters, the Dusty Drapes band. And... Uh, so, and we started playing around, and so I, I, all of a sudden, I started getting into the country scene around Orange County and L.A., and, uh, and that, that, at that point, I started getting some more studio work right. in L.A., doing non-country because some of my some of my good friends now i mean they were i suppose they were competition but they smoked me back then it was like uh in country like jd manus and uh yeah famous you know he's on tears from heaven and all that stuff yeah yeah you know he played on you know with buck owens and played a desert rose band yeah you know he was the top of the heap and played on all the all the tv shows dukes of hazard who by the way when I first first lived in, in California, my landlady was Catherine Bach or Daisy Duke. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is such a quintessential, beautiful California this anecdote. Is, yeah, yeah. By the way, yeah. Daisy Duke was my landlady. I have a lot of those, actually. That's but it, it's, you know, and, and her and her husband was uh, Angela Lansbury's son, George Bernard Shaw's oh grandson. Oh, my gosh. And uh, they, I used to go pay my rent in, uh, in person because she usually showed up at the door wearing a bikini. Oh, yeah. You're, and like, this was be- you're like, not only will I pay you in person, I will pay you on time, <laughs> you know? She, so lived that- at, she lived at Point Doom, which is by Malibu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Beautiful uh, area. And so, yeah, that, those are the days. That is and, hilarious and amazing. And, um, but yeah, I, I'm kind of crossing years in history That's here. Okay. But it's sort of a, so at that point, I'm in California. I stayed in California for 40 years, pretty much. Yeah. So um, and playing throughout the whole period. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much what I did. I think Were I only had one real job. Were you still being at any point in there or play based? Did you ever have to go back and forth between? Well, a lot of times, just if a lot of times, just to do gigs and clubs, because I eventually ended up playing a lot of club gigs. Yeah. You know, especially when I moved to the Riverside County area, the Inland Empire. Yeah. A lot of clubs, and so I fronted a lot of bands. Yeah. 
And uh, so I sang and I, you know, I got good at memorizing lyrics. No, not so much. But it, it's, um, but yeah, I sang and, and, and was a singing bass player, singing steel player. But I'm going to ask you just because I, I ask everybody this as far as people that have had these long, beautiful careers in music. Did you ever look in the mirror and go, what am I doing? Like, why? Or was it always just music will be my... Yeah. You know I, what I mean? Like, I not that I ever have, but people oftentimes looking and go, oh, why are you playing these clubs? Or you're doing whatever. Oh, well, I mean, a lot of times I just, you know, was very, very torn, you know, torn up by it. I mean, just... I mean, beat up by it. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, clubs back in those days, you know, nine to one thirty, five nights, six nights a week, yeah. you know, then an hour and a half drive, you know, yeah. and with, if I was playing steel, I had a huge tear down. So it, it was just, it was something that I always kind of, I, I had good moments and just a lot of times I'm just going, what am I doing? Right. But, uh, you love it. Yeah, it's what I do. It's yeah. what I know how to do. <laughs> it's you know, and and you know, people like me, and they, and I, I made a living. Yeah, and uh, we all do. Uh, the reason I ask is is just because I think I've been asked that question by a number of people that are like, "Well, you know, why wouldn't you go do blah blah blah? Yeah, whatever it is, you right. know." Um, because there are years where you do really well. There are years where you do less well. And, right, and right. That's an up and down versus, a, oh, I have my practical nine to five. I have my benefits. I have my blah, 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 whatever. And I'm not knocking and that. No, and that's, that is, that's huge. And uh, But I do I, think it's worth asking because I think there's a thing somehow that we're wired to just kind of go, this is what I do. Yeah. You know, I've always kind of somehow, I don't know how <laughs> I've had faith that things would work out. You know, yeah. I've always followed my muse. I've felt that a muse is a real thing. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, to me, the best musicians are not the ones who, who try to be clever to make it happen. It just comes through them right. because they're in con connected with, Absolutely. with the universe, which yeah. is, you know, once again, hippy dippy stuff, but it's, 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 it's really true. I, I mean, think that's incredibly valid stuff. I think anytime you are, moved to create from a place that is authentic or just something you have to do, it's going to be a muse or it's going to be the universe or it's going to be something that's giving you this kind of power to do something that the average bear doesn't do. Yeah. You, you still have to, you still have to do the work. Right. And, and, uh, that's the way I feel. You, you definitely have to do the work and there's a certain amount of ego that you have to have. You know, I, I Dylan's probably looking right at me. I don't know what you're talking about. No, I'm just kidding. You know, I, at one point, I, I had a theory that to make it on any level in any facet of the music business, you had to be on on a uh, the spectrum of musical clu cluelessness. <laughs> which I thought so. Certain people were really clueless, and they had a lot of points, and but yet they do well right. because they're so clueless. And, uh, you know, I know I, later on, I found out that there's a name for it. It's called Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's basically, they just think that they know what's happening and they don't necessarily, but they need to think what they know what's happening to do it. Right. And uh, so, and, you know, and that, that goes for club owners, agents, managers. Yeah. Studio guys. Yeah. <laughs> 
wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Dylan. Teasing. Well, he's, he's he a always great, does. He's a great musician. He, I was going to say he's a great musician, and he always knows what's going on. So, and and that's that's just part of it. And yeah. then, you know, it, it's it gives you a good idea who you are and where you're at, and you you need to do that. Yeah. You know, I mean, nobody's going to hire somebody that that is aloof and doesn't, you know. Right. But. Um, so you have to work the room, as they say, and and uh, yeah, it's um. So at any rate, yeah. So yeah, back to California. In. I'm in California. You know, I moved to to uh, Riverside County. Had a son. We lived there for a What's long time. What's your son's name? Cole. Cole, like yeah. Cole Porter. Kind of, <laughs> or Nat King Cole, or Nat King Cole, even yeah. <laughs> also, I was going to say even better, but I, they're both exceptional. So. Yeah, yeah. Either one is, but I like the Nat King Cole reference. Yeah, yeah. My favorite well, Nat voices. King Cole was another one. Oh, his voice is just. And his piano playing. He's self-accompanying. Yeah. You know, in fact, another one of the first things I ever learned, there there was an instrumental that he did with his band as a guitar player. Um, it was like a bebop song called That's the Geek. And it's only since the internet have I ever been able to hear it again. But uh but I learned it note for note, which I'm not, I'm not a huge transcriber. I know some people that transcribe everything note for note and it's great, but I was always just kind of, well, I'm just going to let it flow. But, yeah. but that was one of the few things, but Nat King Cole and my mom, of course, hit me to him. Yeah. You know, it wasn't all just unforgettable. There was a lot, there was. Oh, a, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and then his story. Yeah. He's, he's an amazing, you know, he's an amazing icon to study and learn about. I probably don't know nearly as much as I should know about him. I feel like I know quite a bit because I, his Christmas <laughs> album's my favorite. And so from a young age on that voice, I was always like, who is this? What is this? Like, right, right. and then I was eager to go seek and find more. So, well, initially he started out as a piano player. Yeah. And I guess he played in a club where the club owner goes, Hey kid, you got to sing. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and, and, uh, and the rest, rest as they history. say is history. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so yeah, he's 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 a big one. I everybody asks me who my favorite people are, and I've just got so many, but Ray is one of them. Yeah. Nat's one of them. You so know. your son Cole is born. Has that does this at this point you change your life? I mean, you're Oh yeah, now, but yeah. I had the gig. Yeah. I had the gig and you know, like I never had to play Sweet Home Alabama until then, you know. Right. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Let alone sing it every night. <laughs> <laughs> but once again, I was blessed and I got to play with great musicians. Yeah. And uh, I've always been blessed in that way, you know. Now, I'm just curious, from a parental ex experience and from that perspective now with a child as a musician, were you integral in bringing music into his life other than just your own passion? Were you kind of like your mom where it's like, come learn or? Well, I tried and he was cool. he was his own man and wouldn't do anything. Yeah. You know, every time I suggested something, learn, come surfing with me. Here, here's this guitar thing. Learn this. And he never would. But so one day I'm sitting downstairs in my house and I hear this guitar playing. And I tiptoe up the stairs and he's he's like shredding Metallica up there. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually he went on to, 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 you know, learn about open tunings and different things. Yeah. And, and so he's got it in him, but he's, he's smart and he just wanted to find it on his own. Yeah, he's he's smart. And same thing with surfing. Yeah. All of a sudden, he got into surfing totally on his own. Big wave surfing, even. Wow. And, uh, but yeah, so. <laughs> That's so but, funny. But, you know, his mother and I got divorced. Life happens. And life happens. Cole went off to school. I moved um, to the San Diego area. Okay. 
Beautiful down there. You and pick these great, I mean, obviously beaches, but you pick these great places so far. So far, I am on track with every decision <laughs> you've made. Well, <laughs> well, you know, I kind of, you know, of course, I, I when I was in the Inland Empire in Riverside County, I met, I played, I was playing at a bar and I met a really cute young girl younger than me because I was like nearing 50 and she was in her 20s and a friend of mine goes hey she's a pedal steel player you got to meet her and so I pedal steel yeah oh yeah and so at any rate so 15 years go by and and after being just friends for years I mean I was too old for her back then right but um, so then we got to be an item and look at you and we yeah, yeah and, but i love that the long friendship and and it's really the best way and, yeah. and she's she's the one and, and um you know she's been nothing but a blessing for me and she's the reason i'm here which sometimes i've, I've questioned but then but i love <laughs> prescott yeah and uh but she had some some ties here, family, and then she was working here in the summer. She's a speech language pathologist, yeah, but she also plays pedal steel. Well, now she doesn't. Yeah, I, and I'm hoping it's not because of me, but she's just so busy. Yeah, she's kind of let it slide, but she was she was into it. And, yeah, you know, she's a real country lover. Yeah, and I'm teaching her about other stuff, but. Yeah. Uh, at any rate, so that's the reason we're here is because that's how you got to the non-ocean front. Yeah, that's yeah. and so I, I I'm getting to a point where I'm just getting sick of the the rat race that I was involved in, just the clubs. You know, if I do a session, it wasn't it was just kind of few and far between. Yeah. You know, I had some good sessions near the end there. You know, like yeah. I played on a Hans Zimmer that's a movie incredible, and, uh, and Scott Weiland as well. With yeah, those oh yeah, pilots and I mean you saw that yeah it's yeah. Like, yeah, that was a that was interesting, and and Scott was and the Broadway music. I mean, like <laughs> your career has been incredible, Rick. It really has. It may it may feel like it's been, you know, few and far between, or just like one here, one there. But like in in a body of work, you've had this immense career that I was blown away by when you sent me all your stuff. Well, it's, it's funny that I sent that to you, Candace, just yeah. because I wanted to just kind of because I I saw what you are. You're you know you're great, Thank and you very and much. and. Uh, and I just kind of, I've been here for five, six years now. And I, so many years were taken. I had cancer for, you know, I had to live with through that. And then I had a steady gig. So I was never up here. And then, you know, we've been down there a lot. And so I'm, I kind of haven't been up here all that much. So ultimately your wife brought you up here and you had, you got cancer. What kind of cancer did you I had uh, throat cancer. Oh my gosh. Which as a singer is really scary. That's really inconvenient and scary. Yeah. Yes. And, and it was a, it was a horrible thing. But you then met the Ping brothers. Well, and- I, I met the Ping brothers before that. And I actually did some gigs with them and, and love playing with them. And, uh, you know, we can relate to each other quite a bit, different worlds in a way, but they, they, they like, they, they like jazz too. And, uh, so at any rate, when I got my cancer, they threw a benefit for me and they, and they, it was so sweet and much appreciated, much needed at that time because the expenses, you know, were crazy. Yeah. And, uh, but most of the time I was staying down the Valley cause I was going to Mayo, which was a blessing in itself. Yeah. That's an incredible hospital. And, so uh, you were in good hands. So, yeah. So I, I had, 
uh, what they call proton beam radiation, which pretty much saved my voice and my hearing. Wow. And um, which, which was hard to get into. And in fact, my oncologist knew that I was a musician, heard some of me singing on, on, on YouTube. And, and so she pitched it to the insurance company five times before I was accepted. Wow. And so my music got me through another tight spot again. That's incredible. And so he said, well, this is what he does for a living. He's a singer. And even though I wasn't as much of a singer because I just always am a side man, you know, these days. But Yeah, but it's still a, a critical part of who you are as an artist. And also when you are hired to sing and do yeah. any kind of harmonies or anything of that nature, that is very much a part of your working career. So that I'm glad that you had good enough yeah, resources and, and to— Yeah, and right now, other than having to drink water continuously, yeah. I, I, I can I sing. So it's in my that is a and in some and ways in some ways I might have maybe a little less range but I have maybe a little more character I don't know I but, love it though but it's, it's but you're singing I'm that's singing but I'm talking I'm hearing that's the big one really that, yeah totally. and and um, but yeah so I I moved up here met the pings got cancer and then then found myself doing a steady gig in Cape Creek playing playing bass. And with back a real, to bass. Back to bass. I mean, bass. not that you ever left bass, but I mean, back to playing, gigging on bass. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I've always sort of played it, but but mostly people would hire me to play steel. Right. And and um, especially for studio work. Right. Even though I, I still play guitar as seriously, if not more, and, not and, and bass. But bass is kind of always been a good fallback instrument and it's yeah. it I love playing bass. I'm the I'm the conductor, I'm the groove, I'm yeah. you know. You're right I'm, there with the heartbeat. I, I'm with the uh I'm with the changes, you yeah. know. And so anybody out there wanting to take up bass, do it. I might know? be that person next. Yeah, it's <laughs> Singing and playing bass is a, is a skill. Really hard. But, well, it's not hard. But it's just, it, you know. In my instance, I know that would be hard because <laughs> I know that when I'm focusing on singing, everything else goes out the window. Right, right. Which means my fingers would in, would definitely not do what they were supposed to do. But well, it's okay. I have some tips for you. But, yeah, we'll talk about that Okay, again. perfect. <laughs> but, yeah, so I, I, I was in Cave Creek for almost two years. Um. So I was really kind of out of Prescott a lot. And people see me around town. They, they think, well, who's this guy? Is he like working for the FBI or something? <laughs> and they don't really know, yeah. you know, what I, what I, who I think I am, whatever, you know. And, 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 and that's fine. I'm not about to toot my horn too much. But it, it's, it's um, so I got that, I got that gig. I did that. And then I just got tired of being in, you know, being in that that environment that much yeah. it's kind of like billy bobs is crazy right crazy i mean it was and i made but i made the best club money i've ever made so yeah. that's why i did the gig yeah and the music i did love the music yeah and the band but uh but at any rate so then i i stopped that and i'm planning to just come back up here and then COVID hits right which we're all suffering through in the right. sense that I, for for any of us, you know, it, it becomes this like weird thing because I, I think as much as we all enjoy the the physicality of being good at something, whether it's your instrument or in my case, I just love to sing and I think I maybe do it a little bit above average some other people that do it. But there's a thing to the human connection aspect yeah. that we are all conditioned for. Right. And no matter what musician I speak to, in what country, in what time frame. Right. 
everybody loves that applause or that moment when you can tell that your audience loves what you're doing. And right, that right. feels great. Yeah, I miss that part. That I do part, miss that part is hard to let go of, you know, when that's part of your daily or weekly routine to get kind of that interaction and energy exchange right. with a group of people. And here we are all sitting ducks looking at each other. <laughs> right, right. You know, I mean, I really feel bad for computer screens. There's a lot of people I really feel bad for that they really need it. Yeah. And I, I, oh, I'm doing okay, but it, it's, well, it, it's, uh, you know, I'm not rich, but I'm doing okay. Yeah. And it, it's, um, so. So here we all are. So here we all are. It's, uh, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Yeah. And, uh, may I ask you a few questions I ask all my guests? Sure. Having this incredible life journey and in music and making the arts your career path, mm -hmm. what would you say has been a career high and a career low? Oh, geez. <laughs> Not to throw, you know, a heavy-ass <laughs> yeah, question geez. at you, but... <laughs> but I mean, looking I back, like, what's something that's really been like, wow, that was really just a top-notch memory or experience? Well, I've done, I mean, a career high... There were so many things I've done that are highs. I played on the Grand Ole Opry. I've, you know, the thing I did with Trey Anastasio from Fish, mm -hmm. which is called Hands on a Hard Body, which is a hard, it's a play about people putting their hands on a Toyota truck. Yeah. <laughs> and at any rate, it was, it was really an incredible experience for me because I was, for one thing, I was playing with some serious New York, you know, musicians. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but they brought me in because I played, I, I actually played six different instruments, union scale. And That's a good, that yeah. is a good gig. <laughs> yeah. But, but so I played steel yeah. and, and dobro and lab steel and acoustic guitar and electric guitar. And that's awesome. They were like, we've got a one-stop shop right here. Yeah. So it, 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 it was a little tricky to do, but I, 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 I figured it out. So I, but I got to hang out with Trey, who was an incredible guy. Yeah. And, um, interesting character that guy you know all, all these famous people that i've all the people that i've done really big gigs with like that every, two is two of a one every single one of them had it you know and you can recognize that yeah. like scott wyland he had it yeah you know and uh, there's a thing there's a thing yeah you know tranasazio had it i played uh this gal named heather miles she never had a huge career but a lot of the recordings and we played the opry together and she has it yeah. You know, yeah. and um, that's a lot of highs. That's a lot of great. A, a lot of highs. I mean, I've played a lot of highs and and, uh, and lows. You know, I get depressed. You yeah. get depressed, you know, if things aren't just working out or things, you know, your personal life isn't so great or you're not feeling well or whatever. But the lows have been high. Yeah. You know, I, I'm I'm. Looking back, now that yeah. you made me look back at it, <laughs> I mean, I could think of some gigs like, oh, let me out of here, yeah. you know. But that's that's about my take on, on the whole thing. I feel still pretty, like I led a, a blessed life. So. Yeah. What is something, this is another uh, out-of-the-box kind of a question, what is something, knowing everything you've been through to this point, what's something you would tell your younger self? Maybe your Santa Barbara self or maybe your, you know, bolder self? Well... Do the work sooner. Okay. You know, I mean, don't trust your muses completely. Yeah. I mean, trust them, but, you know, 
it's not always going to be just because nobody understands you doesn't mean you're a genius. Right. <laughs> And, 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 and uh, I know you didn't say that to be funny, but it's, it's such a, I'm like, that actually is a really brilliant statement. Just because nobody understands you does not mean you're a genius. And, and, and uh, the, the big one, I think for me in the, in the studio here, we're in a studio and it's still, I still kind of tend to do this because studios have never been like some people they're right at home in the studio. I have some friends that that's where they live and they do fine. But I think my problem was, is I would, I would let things pass. Ah. And, and, you know, like some of my, some of my really successful studio players that, you know, and they might be chewing up time if they have to, but you know, most of those guys are really great and it's, you know, time is money and they're good at it. Right. Uh, but they don't let anything pass, you know, and I've, and I'm kind of going, okay, that's good. Pay me and let me out of here. Yeah. You know, and I've done that many times. And I, I regret that. That is a regret I have, yeah. but I, I'm learning, you know, so now I go into a studio and I, you know, go in with a positive attitude, make sure my equipment is sort of working and, uh, and that I can tune up and, uh, I'm, you know, I'm clean and you're in it. Yeah. I'm in it. Yeah. And, uh, it's nice that, that there's this studio is here. It's nice that I got to meet Dylan. And He's a good guy. We'll it, keep him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but that is that is one thing I would tell myself. Yeah. And but uh, th things wouldn't change. I mean, I probably should have done my taxes a little better when I was young. <laughs> that is good life because I had to catch up. I had to do some. I had to do some fixing. But uh, you learn as you go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But you know, my experiences are are so good that I. I mean, I can't complain about anything. You Isn't know? that a and, pretty? And so, that's, that's, I mean, Blessed I'm, and well I'm, I'm very sit lucky sitting position. Yeah. And, um, you know, luckily I'll stay healthy and keep able to do it, but I'm still, you know, I've never had a problem of, of, I mean, I'll get, I'll get uninspired, but one of the things about being a multi-instrumentalist is I'll just go play something else. Yeah. But I, I still practice as much as I possibly can I and learn and read and conceptualize and, uh, you know, try and develop you know, what my take on what, you know, theory, music theory is a, is a, is a weird word. It's, it's theory. What right. is music? Yeah. You know, what is it? That one constantly eludes me a little bit. It's like, you can think about that till the. Well, right. I mean, music is, I mean, just the phys physics of it. Yeah. Is, it, that's what it is. Yeah. It's, it's, an, it's a thing of part of nature. Yeah. It's exactly. And it's sound waves. You know, and there's, there's, there's different parts of it. Harmony is my big love. Yeah. I love chords. I love orchestral chords. I love playing that kind of stuff. Even though I love playing a funky ninth chord and a, you know, yeah. James Brown, you know. What are you listening to right now? When, oh. you, when you want to put on something and, and either relax or hang, like, what do you what do? What do you I, I, God, I listen to so many things. Um, you know, I've... Of course, I do listen to a lot of jazz. I'll, I'll admit that. It's uh, I, I really like I really like Wynton Marcellus, what he's doing with jazz at, at uh, what is it called Lincoln Center? Yeah, because he he his band covers the full gamut. You know, like I used to think, oh well, you know that you know Dixieland is kind of cornball, and yeah, and now I get it more. You know, that's that's another thing I would tell myself. Be open to I everything. Think that's 
advice we all you know, need to hear over and over. You know, I mean, I like I wasn't I wasn't nowhere near. I had no desire to play country music when I started playing pedal steel. It was not yeah. even on, the, on my radar at all. But I mean, it's been such an inspiration and a learning experience for me and musically. Yeah. And, for, you know, for one thing, every drummer and every bass player should play in a country band at least once. I think that's incredible advice. You know, yeah. and, um, and everybody else, at least, at least once, just to yeah. get, you know, you know, less is more in, in a lot of contexts, you know. Yeah. And um, so... But I forget where I was, but yeah. It's no, a, I had been asking what you were listening to and, and you were just. Yeah, I, I've been listening to Wynton Marcellus. And, you know, I, I, I listen to a lot of different things, different yeah. singers. YouTube is always coming up with stuff for me. I mean. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like almost too good to be true. I'm, I'm just afraid it's going to go away. But it's because it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I really get a lot of pleasure. Yeah. With that. In fact, um, I I kind of. I, I, I helped my change another story about my Prescott friends. I've, I've really become good friends with Jack Peterson. Yes. He's incredible. Who, who Jack Peterson, I, I'm, you know, I hope you can get him in here. I'm because, trying. Okay. I'll, 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 I'll engineer it. I, <laughs> that would be I, I thought it was going to be a duet or something, but no, it, it's uh which would be good. We're, that's we're we're doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, just he's he's. Well, we would love to have you guys on our our music series as well to play. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 that would that would be great. But um, but Jack, so we're 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 buddies now, and and I think one of the reasons we're buddies is because he grew up in Texas, Texas and Oklahoma, kind of in the in the you know honky tonk world of playing. But in his day, it was Western swing, which was more, you know, there was it was kind of like Benny Goodman, you know, right. with, with you know. Same with you know cowboy hats right <laughs> and you know and, and and steel players and so i i can relate to him on both of his worlds his his the world where he grew up which is that stuff which is still pretty sophisticated but he he was also a reader from you know he the guy's a great reader yeah. and he was consequently a big time studio right. player um but uh but then jazz and so I've I've heard him play stuff that sounds like on the Beverly Hill Hillbillies, and then I've heard him play stuff that's like Miles Davis. So it's such a deep bag, and he's going so strong. I think eighty seven. Yeah. And uh, well, and you two probably share that connection of of having this multi range right to tap into right. And and you know, and of course, I don't think he likes teaching anymore. But I, I'm I'm getting a lot of free lessons. From him. <laughs> But it's just because he like. <laughs> but, You're like, hey, Jack, can we hang out, in quotes? And while we're hanging out, well, could you show me a few more of those tricks? Well, one of the reasons, and this is why we got to it, we were talking about YouTube. Uh, so I kind of saw to it that he got an iPad. Well done. And uh, because he'd come over to my house and he'd see all this cool stuff I'd put up on the TV about, about you know, a lot of his his influences and favorite players and friends and and so on and so forth. And, you know, like there's an iReal Pro program, which is like a little backing track program. And, yeah. and all the fake books I gave, he gave him all the fake books on, on uh, like 17 fake books, which are books that cha have the changes and the melodies. That's what they call them. Got and uh, on, on this I I iPad. And so he is just like running with it, you know, like usually some people 
in that age group usually tend tend to stay away from technology. Like, well, Jack is let me do this. Jack yeah. is jumping into it, and he's just I love that killing at it. I and, love that, and so he's showing me Thanks stuff. Thanks to that, you, yeah, yeah, and uh, so you know he's done some very nice things to me too, for for me too. So we're we're even. <laughs> 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 Not to mention the free lessons. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. When I do get him in a seat across from me, I'm going to go, hey, you know, there's more happening here than just hanging out, right? <laughs> but it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of, you know, because he taught, he was the first, uh, he was the, I think, he was at least one of the very first heads of the guitar department at Berkeley School of Music. Wow. And, and, and also North Texas State. And those, both of those two are considered the top jazz schools in the yeah. United States. And uh, so, and his, his list of students is a who's who. Yeah. And um, so. Well, he now you're one of them. Well, <laughs> let's put <laughs> so it this there, way. Let's, let's so put it this way. It. I'm in the lineage. Yeah, you're in the, exactly. You know. Well, I think that is, I mean, there's really nothing more to say other than that kind of right. brilliance. I'm so thrilled you've been my guest. This has been so It's been very fun. nice. Thanks for having me. And like I said, we're going to get you on that stage any minute now. And then I'm going to have to just call and bug you to lay down sounds and okay. do all kinds of fun stuff. I can stuff. do that. I can Thank do you for that. being I've my guest, Rick. Nice, nice do you have places you. you would like people to look for you or follow you? Look you up on YouTube or in any I other? have a YouTube channel. I mean, a lot of it's kind of, kind of just thrown together. Uh, there's uh, Rick Schmidt SoundCloud. I have a few things. My mother is on there. And if anybody really wants to hear a fantastic jazz pianist, you know, she's kind of from an era, like what yeah. they call stride. Yeah. You know, 40s. I want to hear that. You yeah. Know, you know, uh, <laughs> raising my hand. <laughs> yeah. So she's on, she's on there. So Rick Schmidt SoundCloud. You can look up Rick Schmidt's mom SoundCloud. Okay. And uh, yeah, I need to be more active and that's the plan I, I now have a little home studio that i can do some stuff love besides it. coming here i love it yeah that's... you are so incredible thank you well, for you i appreciate you being here and more to come more conversations to be had okay take care of you um we will put up all the links to find rick and um and anything that you need to know about him will be in the bio so check us out All right, everybody. Today's episode is brought to you by The Raven Cafe, located at 142 North Cortez Street in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. I love this place. I eat there all the time. And let me tell you why. The Raven Cafe features a full, all-organic espresso bar and a wide variety of craft beers and wines. Their innovative menu is created with a focus on organic ingredients, many of which come from local sources. So head on over there. Enjoy a relaxing and comfortable environment decorated with rotating art shows by local and regional visual artists. And on the weekends, a lineup of the best in up-and-coming local music. You don't want to miss out on the Raven Cafe. It's absolutely one of my favorite spots in town. So head on over to ravencafe.com and order online or stop by to catch a happy hour on their beautiful rooftop patio. Thank you for listening to The Creative Convergence, coming to you from Raven Sound Studio in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Are you a professional in the arts and would like to share your story with us or a company that would like to advertise with us? Shoot us an email at contact at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Help support the arts by becoming a Raven Productions member. To get your perk card and be the first to know about all of our upcoming promotions, events, and online programming, your membership will directly support the arts programs in our schools. 
Sign up today at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Until next time, be safe and enjoy the journey.